0: You're gonna have to think of someone in the church that you can share this message with. We have still a shade of our full church here, and they need to hear it, so so that one's on you. Pick a name, pick a name, pick a face. Always an honor to be here. I wanna talk to you tonight about pleasure. Oh, say that, somebody. Oh, you guys are scared. Pleasure. It's okay. Your lips can form that word. Pleasure. No, men, we are not talking about sex or football or hunting. JP just walked back in the sanctuary and said, oh, man, maybe we should get back into worship. But we are talking about pleasure. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that it's good to laugh in church. Open up our minds expand the way we think, expand our understanding, break us out of tradition that we've heard our whole life. And if it doesn't line up with you, then we wanna come to believe something new. (laughs) So help us, give us revelation. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, it's gonna be fun. I'm not going where you think I'm going, I can promise you. So when I pray that prayer, I mean it, because I've heard it a little bit differently than I've ever heard it from the Lord, and so you're gonna hear it a little bit differently than you've ever heard it, probably from church. And so let's just be open to, to hearing something new. Are you guys with me? You trust me? I won't lead you astray. Cool. Well, there's about four Greek words um, that mean love, and our, our one word encompasses these four Greek words, so Greek language, you know, much much more thorough um, in, in this area. And those are agape, which most of us will be familiar with. We would call it the God kind of love, would we not? And a second one would be phileo, and that is what we would think of as a brotherly love or a kind affection, um, a friendship kind of love. And a third would be storge which would be a familial love, maybe between like a father and a son or a parent and a child. And and the fourth would be um, Eros, and that would be a sexual or a passionate love. Um, Eros, not mentioned at all in the New Testament. We're gonna skip over that one. Storge, mentioned a couple of times, call it three, but in the sense that this love is not present. So it's mentioned in in what you might call uh, a negative or, or an absent way. Phileo, somewhere in the neighborhood of... 25 times. Oddly enough, uh, for three of those times, it means kiss. And so there's your, there's your trivia. Get your friends with that one. Um, and then agape, about 320 times in the New Testament. So don't hold me to those numbers exactly, but that gets us in the ballpark. So you would probably think that we would be talking about agape because it's mentioned so much more than the other type of love in the New Testament, which is Phileo. But you would be wrong. We're going to talk about Phileo tonight. Um, you want to be hard pressed, think about the last time you heard a message on on Phileo. Um, but that's that's what the Lord's given me. That's what's on my heart. And so that's where we're that's where we're going to go. So the first thing is is a bit of a um, a bit of a definition. That's always where I start and I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's wordy, and we pretty much already covered it, but agape, this is coming from Wikipedia, agape would be what's considered to be the highest form of love, the love of God for man and of man for God, unconditional love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance. That's probably the big thing that we we want to hear or we already know about agape is the unconditional nature of agape love, whereas phileo, as kind of already mentioned, Brotherly love, loyalty among friends, affectionate regard, friendship. Okay? Are you guys there? So, so there, are, there are differences. They, they really don't look the same. That being said, here's a bit of a lesson about Greek that I learned in school. And you're not going to like it because we like to think in absolutes. And we like to, to say, this word means this in every case that you see this word and it doesn't happen that way in Greek, biblical Greek, sorry y'all. And so, so be leery about looking up a Greek word in your concordance and reading that meaning and then thinking every time you see this word in New Testament, it means this right here because you will, not intentionally, but you will be wrong and you will lead people astray. That's not how it works in Greek, okay? How it works in Greek is much the same way it works in English where context determines everything. So when I say, I love pizza, I love my puppy, and I love my wife, I mean three different things, hopefully, right? And that is, that is, I mean three different things. That is how it works in Greek, okay? So so context kind of determines. And so if you want to be that Greek scholar and really get into Greek meanings, hear that. Context is huge in, in Greek. Why do I bring that up? Because... We're gonna look at phileo and, and I want you to understand that sometimes agape and phileo, they're used interchangeably, right? And so sometimes phileo, sometimes phileo could be mentioned, but it would be talking about that, uncondition, that unconditional love of God that's unfailing. Sometimes you can see agape and it'll be talking about that brotherly kind affection. I told you you weren't gonna like it, but, but, but research, study, do your due diligence, and you'll see that. And the other place I'll shake our box a little bit as we get the conversation started tonight is often the, the scriptures that we think would be, say, agape or we think phileo, not always what it would appear to be. All right. Some of you are looking at me like I might lost you, but I'll get you back. So I'm going to go through a couple of scriptures, and you guys tell me whether you think agape or phileo. Fair? All right, first one is John 5.20, which says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Agape or phileo? Ah, you guys are split. I like it, division. John 16.27 says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Agape or phileo? okay. Revelation 3.19 says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Agape or phileo? <laughs> that was funner than I even imagined. So, so a couple of things. Those were all phileo, by the way. Those, those three scriptures, right? But you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't picture it. You know, we heard a lot of agape, and the reason we wouldn't picture it is because church has taught us this this misguided statement right here. Agape is the God kind of love. Yes? All right, I'm not barking up like unfamiliar trees here, right, agape is the God kind of love. And so when we hear any scripture that talks about the God kind of love, we automatically assume it's gotta be agape. That's all the Lord gives away, wrong, right? Like, we can go ahead and just shoot that sacred cow. God agapes and God phileos. All right? The Lord is ringing. <laughs> let, me, let me know if he's correcting me, and I'll back up. God agapes, God phileos. And, and the reason that's so important out of the gate to establish is, is because what we have a tendency to do is elevate agape love way up here and put it on a pedestal, and never give phileo or what it really means or what the Lord calls us to the time of day. Would you guys agree? That's why we're talking about phileo. Okay, cool. So, so we already mentioned that one of the things unique to agape love is that it is, it is unconditional commitment. So it's not dependent on a feeling or a response, right, okay, so that's unique, that's unique, but do me a favor, never, never let this come out of your mouth again, agape is the God kind of love, because any way that God chooses to love is the God kind of love, right, okay, anybody besides Robert Britt on board with that, any way God decides to love is the God kind of love, all right, good, so, so there, there is a difference but but why I'm being so intentional and spending so much time here is because I want us to know that even though they're different, they're both important. They both have a place. If agape was the only kind of love that mattered, God wouldn't have mentioned the other 25 times in your New Testament, in my New Testament. And if they can be used interchangeably, then he might have used the idea of phileo many more times than that, okay? Okay. So go over to Matthew 22, 37 through 41, I believe. Gonna be up on the screen for you. I'm gonna read it real quick. This is in response to, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him who asked, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Question, is loving God more important than loving people? Oh man, I really got you guys on eggshells. You're terrified to answer. Yes, yes, you can be confident. The Lord said, this is the first, this is the greatest, right? Love God. So when I ask you which is more important, you can confidently say loving God is more important and loving people is second it. There is a hierarchy that the Lord established right here. Love God, love people. First, second. But just because loving people is second doesn't make it unnecessary, right? And that's our tendency, because that's the way we think, especially us guys, like, give me the main thing, and I'll, I'll, (laughs) don't give me two, give me the main thing, and I'll, I'll see what I can do on the main thing, you know? And everything under the main thing, We tend to go, eh, not important, right? Well, we we don't do that with love God, love people, right? In fact, scripture even tells us you really can't love God without loving people, right? So why do we do it with agape being first and phileo being second and, and all but devoting our lives to the idea of agape and really not thinking much about phileo at all? You guys with me? Second doesn't mean it's unimportant. It just means it's second. So if, we, if, we, if we've come to terms with the idea that phileo is important, then the next thing I just want to wanna get clear on is what does it look like? What does it look like? Because your chances and my chances of doing something, when we don't know what it looks like, not good. Right? Not good. And so, so if, it looks like, if it looks like kind affection, and it looks like friendship, and it looks like brotherly love. I want you to think about one ingredient in each of those descriptive relational words that would hold them all together. Come on. Yeah, get less spiritual. But yes, keep going. Kind, who said it? Pleasure. Kindness. Pleasure. Pleasure. Right? Our friends are those people we enjoy. You guys think I'm diving deep, but really I'm just trying to, I'm trying to go right under the surface here. I'm trying to keep it, keep it pretty simple. Our friends are the people we enjoy. We like being around them. Right? They bring us pleasure, Sadie. They bring us joy. Those relationships that you enjoy, that's what phileo looks like. That's what brotherly love looks like. They're those people that you don't have to work as hard when you're around them, right? You can just let go, you can let loose, you can be you, you can smile, you can laugh, you can be comfortable, right? You genuinely enjoy being around that person. It's easy for you. Is that fair? All right, so, so let's, get that, let's get that mental image in our mind about this idea of phileo and actually bring it to a real place that can affect the way that we live everyday life. Y'all, it's those people you like. Simple enough? All right, Nyla. Nyla's excited. <clears throat> it's those people that that you like. So here is here is an interesting question that I wanna I wanna pick apart a little bit. One of my one of my beefs with, ladies, just calm down. One of my beefs with Hallmark a little bit, or those, or those ooey-gooey, and you guys know me, I'm pretty ooey-gooey. And so for the most part, I like those movies, and I do sacrifice and watch them with my wife, but one of my, one of my hard places, <laughs> one of my hard places, she'll vouch for me, with, with those movies oftentimes is the, the serendipitous nature of love in those movies, right? Because it's so deep within me that love is not an emotion, love is a choice, that when I, when I kind of see something portrayed that says love's gonna come along and it's just, it's just gonna jump on you and you just fall in love with this person and there's nothing really you can do about it, even if you have a commitment over here, there's still nothing that you can do because you're a victim of love, right? That's what makes it hard for me to watch those movies that time. So we all know that that's, a, that's, a, that's an anti-agape idea, right? We know that we can control who we love and how we love them, right? What about your like? Oh, somebody said, Brandon, that's a good question. Thank you, guys. Who controls your like? Is is that a matter of fate? Is that just chemistry? Is that a matter of choice? Or is that a matter of who God is and what God says? Who, Who controls your like? And I can see the angst on your face because... When we say like, we bring in emotions. It's the big scary E word, right? We, we bring in emotions. And so this is a terrifying idea to us, who we like, because that brings emotions into the conversation. And, and, and when I was thinking through this, I really came to two places where we land on this. Those schools of thought in us that say, I have no control over who I like. Zero. And I like some people, but I don't like other people. And I feel guilty about that. So I don't have any control over it, but I feel guilty about how it, how it plays out. OK? And then a second way of thinking about this, that I have complete control over who I like. I like you. You, you, not you, you, or you. Right? And we get very strong in that area, and we get very proud in that area. We get very intentional in that area. I have complete control over my emotions. I tell my emotions who they're going to like and who they're not going to like. And so you have, you have, you have the, the out of control and guilty, and you have the very controlled and prideful in this conversation about, about who we like. So there is, there is a statement that I feel like wraps up both of those positions but in very different ways. And that statement is this, I I heard it recently and it flew all over me, inspired this message. That statement is this, I have to love them but I don't have to like them. Who's heard that before? Who's heard that in church before? Who believes that's true? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, at least you guys have guts. Everybody else is scared. Right? I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. And if you're, if you're out of control on who you like, but you really you feel guilty about that, this statement covers you because it lets you off the hook. Right? I don't have to like them. God only mandates that I love them, not that I like them, right? So your guilt is cured, right? And if you're prideful about your control, then that statement fuels it even more. I don't have to love them. I have to love them. I don't have to like them. And it validates that control issue that we're so unwilling to let go of. So either way, that statement probably applies to you in some form or fashion. And it's really that position, that statement, and where it goes that I wanna spend some time, the rest of our time, kind of talking about. <clears throat> Let me just give you freedom right here. You can disagree with me, y'all. It's okay, you know? This could be controversial. You could think different, and that's okay. I'll, I'll still love you. I'll still like you, <laughs> right? And so... Just, just be open-minded to, to hear some things differently. And, and so I, I just wanna ask some questions and kind of pick this apart a little bit. To me, there is, there is danger in dislike. There's danger in dislike. And if I, if I don't like Ed, Ed, can I use you? If I don't like Ed, Ed, can I really be for him the way God is for him? We have no's, we have yeses, right? We'll, we'll keep going along that line. To me, there is danger in dislike because once you, once you come to that position in your heart of I like this one, this one, but this person right here, I don't like that person. To me, you're wide open to prejudice. You're wide open to to prejudice that leads to action that can move you from a place of love. Let me give you an example that will, will probably drive it home. Now men, I said we weren't talking about football, we're still not talking about football, but that's my example here. So think about a sports team that you don't like. Think about a sports team that you do like. So let's go football, right? Where are, my, where, are my, where are my Boston fans in the room right now? Where are my Patriot fans? Anybody? Oh, thank you, Lord. All right, Leslie Larson, I love you from a distance. Think about the Patriots, right? You either love them or, yeah, you don't, right? You don't like them. And, and what happens, what happens is, is when we like someone or something, we have a tendency to, to maximize successes. Right, I'm looking at you, Brock, Panthers fan, right? Think about the Panthers. How many Panthers fans in the room? Right, we maximize successes and we minimize failures. What about the team that you don't like, right? How many people in the room don't like the Patriots? Ah, thank you. Right, great participation, y'all. The Lord's ringing again. Lord, (laughs) don't tell me you like the Patriots. We'll struggle. Listen, what do you do? The tendency is exactly the opposite, y'all. We minimize successes, and we maximize failures. Do you see that? You see our tendency to do that. You know, I talk to so many people they don't like the Patriots, and I go, "But you, you really, you really have to acknowledge what they've done." No, nah. and I'm like, "What? What do you mean, no? How do you, how do you not say Tom Brady is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live?" Right? Because you, because you don't like him. So you minimize his success and you maximize his failures. And if you like them, you do just the opposite. Why do I bring that up? Because I want you to, under, want you to know yourself. I want you to know your tendency. That as soon as you get into bed with, with I like and I don't like, this is your tendency to do this. And it is so hard. And you would have to do it so well. And you would have to have so much of the spirit of God. To apply that to a sports team, I talk trash about the Patriots every opportunity I get. And then when you get to people that you don't like, to turn that off. Come on, y'all. You know, just just turn that off. You know, to me, that place of control, if you want to say you have that, you may be in pride. Ask the Lord about it. Ask the Lord about it. Here's some questions. Agape, it's not optional. Not if we want to follow the Lord, right? We don't have to do anything. But if we want to follow Jesus, then to love people unconditionally, it's not optional. Why do we think phileo is? Why do we want phileo to be? Why do we want that brotherly love, that, that, that kind affection, that, that I enjoy your company, I like you? I find pleasure in you. Why do we want that to be optional? Here's the second question I would ask you. This will probably hit home a little bit more. Who does Jesus not like? Right, right? I'm hearing, I'm hearing Aubrey down there, and he said, he said the Pharisee. He said the Pharisee. You know, and you can look at the way that Jesus talked to the Pharisee. Absolutely, and I would, I would agree. I love that. I welcome that. You know, so I'll take that a step further and we can have a little bit of a conversation. You know, which one of the Pharisees did Jesus not have a heart to get to a place in the relationship where they could enjoy one another? None of them. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so we'll go there, y'all. We're, we're, we're going there. Stay, stay with me. Who, who did Jesus not like? And, and what if Jesus didn't like you? How would that sit with you? What would that look like? Heartbreak. Why? But he could still love you? He could still sacrificially love you and just not find pleasure in you, not find joy in you. That rubs you a little bit wrong, doesn't it? Right? <laughs> Does me. Does me too. Here's part of this this question that's broken. The, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. It focuses on what we have to do. And this can be expanded far beyond this conversation. Anytime we start focusing on what we have to do or what we don't have to do, we're, we're, we're cozying up to law, right? Anytime, anytime we do that. So so, watch those have to statements because I think, I think rather than, you know, asking what do I have to do, do I have to like them, a much better question would be what is the heart of God toward this person? Does, does God like them, you know? And even if he's not in a position to, to speak kindly or, or or pour out blessing, or do those kinds of things because of their posture. What is his heart toward them? Does he he like them? Does he have a heart to move past that into a place of enjoyment and friendship, right? And an exchange of a relationship. And I think we could all answer that pretty boldly, yes. (laughs) I love my wife, y'all. I was wrestling with this message, and you can see it because it's pretty controversial. And, and, I, and, and I never want to get up here and preach something that doesn't have its foundation in the heart of God and in the word of God. And, and so I was, I was going to my wife and I was, like, I was like, babe, help me, you know, help me to know if I'm off or I'm on. And, and I said, does, does, does God like you? And she said, yes. And I said, does God like everyone? And she said, yes. And I said, how do you know? How do you know? And, and she said two things that I think are absolutely profound. She said, God created us. And he wouldn't create something that he doesn't like. And he liked it so much that after he created us, he sat back and said, that's good. Right? Simple, but profound. And he created us in his own image. So we'll add that one. Right? He likes himself too. So he likes us because he created us. And he has pleasure in what he created. And here's the second thing she said. He wants to spend time with us. She, my wife is profound, y'all. I worked on that for eight hours. She, she covered it in under a minute, right? He wants to spend time with us. He wants to spend eternity with us. And who, what is the greatest evidence that you like someone? You desire to spend time with them, right? So just get real comfy in the position that God likes you. And for that matter, God likes everyone because he's not willing that one person should perish, but that every single person should come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So God wants to spend forever with every person on the planet, right? That's amazing to me. He likes us, he likes us. (laughs) Why is this so important? (sighs) Because I want our response to be founded in God's response, and I want our heart to be founded in the heart of God. And so if we can identify what is the Lord's posture, then at that point we're empowered to figure out our own posture, okay? Let me give you guys, have, how many people in the room have seen The Shack? Oh, for those of you who haven't seen The Shack, go see it tonight. It's amazing, there's a, there's a, there's a point in that movie where he's talking to God and, and God makes this statement, I'm, I'm especially fond of you, Mackenzie. And then he says several, several other times, I'm especially fond, I'm especially fond, and the guy that's talking to God says, you're especially fond of a lot of people, and you just get this smile, right? That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. There, there, is, there is multiple dynamics of the love of God for you and me, and one of those is absolute sacrificial love for as long as it takes to the very end of the line, regardless of whether you or I ever respond. And, and another is, pleasure, and friendship, and like, and delight, and a mutual give and take relationship that has God responding to us, and us responding to God, right, and they're different, but they're both the Father, okay, you guys with me, here's some scriptures to say just how much the Lord delights in us, let me read them to you real quick, this is Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isaiah forty nine sixteen. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Zechariah 2, 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Psalm 149, 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, he will beautify the humble with salvation. And maybe my favorite, Matthew 3, 16, 17. When he had been baptized, speaking of Jesus, he came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Right, there is, there is an argument to be made that if I took out my phone and I said, hey, I said, hey, Julie, let's trade. And she took my phone and I took her phone, then probably everyone in the room would go, ah, Brandon liked Julie's phone better than his own phone because he just worked that trade. God gave Jesus for you and me, you know? Am I saying that the Father likes you more than he likes Jesus? Maybe, sure looks that way, you know? Sure gives gives an equal love and like a healthy chance. Or we're very, very close because you can can argue all day about many things, but the trade, him for us, we cannot deny. We cannot deny. And he was well pleased with Jesus, and he gave him up for us. (sighs) Here's a good question. Why would we say yes to being conformed to God's love but not to God's like for people? Challenging. Challenging, y'all. We can, we can have our rights, or we can have his heart. He'll give us whatever we want, you know? Father, it's my right to decide who I like, okay, you know? Father, I want your heart, and your heart is not only to love sacrificially, but also to enjoy every person. And so I'm gonna make that my aim. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I'm not talking about in this conversation. I am not talking about being fake. I'm not. I have no interest in it. Zero. Zero. I am not talking about creating some emotion that you really don't have for someone. I want you to be real. I want you to I want you to struggle. I want you to work through this with the father for those people that you don't like or that it's hard for you to like. I am not talking about creating a fake emotion. I am talking about a real desperate cry to the Father, right? Because there's there's something in that person that he's in love with. There's something in that person that he finds joy in and he finds pleasure in and that he sings over, right? And if we'll ask him, he'll show it to us. I'm, I'm talking about vision, I'm not talking about fake. Seeing and aligning with the heart of God is what this conversation is all about. I'm also not saying that everyone needs to be your best friend. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. They don't all need to be your best friend. We're not all gonna be best friends. You know, the Lord's gonna lead us to more intimate relationships with certain people. He did that with Jesus. He'll do it with you and me, right? And so don't don't hear that in this conversation. Here, there's a place that, that we often don't invite the Lord into. And it's who we like, you know? And it's, it's who we don't like. And, and I believe the Lord, I believe the Lord wants to be invited in right there. There's, there's a couple of scriptures I'll mention. Romans 12, eight says, as much as it depends on you, 12, 18, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Right. This is the as-much-as-it-depends-on-you conversation. Okay? You with me? It's not always possible. It won't always be possible. But as much as it depends on you, your posture, your alignment, your prayer, your cry to the Father to bring change here first and then there, as much as it depends on you, like everyone. Like everyone. Love everyone. Here's another reason we exalt agape and, we're, and, we, and we demote phileo and we're, we're terrified of it. This is, Lord, help me not to lose people right here. It's a control issue, right? For It's a control issue. And, and, and Julie, I know that, that I have the ability, especially as I pursue the Lord, to, to respond to you in love no matter what you do to me. So I'm comfortable there because I can control that. But when someone starts talking to me about liking you, and that's challenging again, my brain kind of goes on the fritz because my emotions play into that. And so here's the question we have to ask ourselves, y'all: Is God big enough to influence your emotions? Right? It's that it's that out of control place that we're scared of, you know. But if we go, Lord, you can you can help me see things in Julie that I don't see right here. Lord, you can you can change my heart. You can influence my joy. Right, you can help my patients, you can do those things. Lord, you can change Julie and make those things in her that I don't like, likable. Do we we really think the Lord's big enough to, to do that? Now that may have sounded like a manipulative spin that I just put on that. It wasn't, it wasn't. And here's why, because because typically those people that you don't like, it's because of areas in their life that don't look like the Lord, right? If you're you're walking with Jesus and this conversation has any validation whatsoever, right? I don't want us to, Agape, agape is number one, right? It's number one. It's most important because I don't know if Julie's ever gonna respond to the Lord. I don't know if Julie's ever gonna respond to me. And that's why, that's why agape has to be first and foremost because that love can't depend on her. But when we think about God's first and best, it is a relationship of response. Let me give you this, let me give you this example. Let me give you this example. It is a relationship of response. Jesus went to the cross hoping that people would respond, right? The greatest act of agape love, unconditional love, was done in hopes that people would respond. A two-way relationship, one pouring in the other pouring in, one responding, the other responding. That's what God wants. That's the heart of God for every individual. It's not that God would just pour out unconditional love that person's whole life and they would never respond. That's not what the Father wants. He wants that unconditional love to win their heart over and my heart over and your heart over so that we begin to respond. And there's a mutual relationship going on. There's a mutual affection going on. There's enjoyment going on. There's pleasure going on. And so much of that, as Aubrey pointed out earlier in the message, rightly so, is based on response. But what we do so oftentimes, y'all, and this is, so that's the first big question I think the Lord wants to ask. Does, I I like them, but I don't like them, does that line up with the heart of God? Take it home, talk to the Father about it. The second is this. There are those of us that are hiding behind agape love. You go, Brandon, that's a weird statement. I know, y'all. Let me walk you through it. We're hiding behind agape love. Because if, if I can just love Julie unconditionally, can I use you now that I have been for 10 minutes? <laughs> if, I, if I just go, dang it, Julie, you're, you're difficult for me. You know, I don't, I don't. I struggle to like you or I don't like you. So I guess the rel- this relationship is always gonna be a sacrifice. Do you guys see that? We do that. You all do that. This is just gonna be one of those sacrificial relationships from day one until we go to the grave, baby. When we do that, we shut down the opportunity for joy to come in this relationship. We shut down. What we're really doing in that relationship is giving up on God to move in my heart and giving up on God to move in your heart and to bring both of us to a place where this thing could, could really be enjoyable, you know, really be, really be likable, it really be life-giving, you know. You really bring me pleasure and I really bring you pleasure, right? God's best does not look like me, me, continually sacrificing unconditionally for Julie over the next 30 years, and Julie never responding. That is not God's best. But oftentimes, that's the idea of agape love that we, we cuddle up to. God's best is that I would, I would love Julie, and I would, I would believe in God's ability to bring this relationship even to a place of like. And I would pray for her and I would serve her and I would treat her that way and I would believe the best and I would believe that God could take this relationship to a place where it's never been or it hasn't been in a long time and I would love from that place. And I would invite God to influence even emotions, thought patterns, behaviors, Words, emotions, to to heal that relationship and and make it something life-giving. Very specifically, the Lord told me when I was preparing this, there are marriages. I'm almost done, y'all. Hang with me. Give me three more minutes. There are marriages where spouses have given up on the idea of liking each other. They've, They've given up on the idea of enjoying each other ever again, and they've just bought into, I guess it's just always gonna be this sacrificial love. And there's no expectation, and there's no prayer, and there's no cry to the Father to move it beyond that point. That's where this message gets real. That's where this message gets powerful. There are parent-child relationships where that same thing has happened. Given up given up on a God-given, ordained place of joy in that relationship and bought into sacrifice is all it is, sacrifice is all it'll ever be. Last thing, am I, am I beating up on agape love? Not at all, not what you hear. It's first, it's most important, it will always be, right? What I'm addressing is giving up on phileo giving up on a mutual relationship that gives back one to the other, right? And believing God for that and pursuing that and praying for that. And if that can't happen because the other person will not respond, guess where you go right back to that you never left? Agape, that's exactly right. It's the foundation, it'll always be the foundation, right? It never goes away, but we cannot We cannot cast away joy in our relationship because we've settled for sacrifice. Does that help you? Good. Golly, I thought that mess was going to be so much lighter than it it ended up being. It's okay. (laughs) You guys stand. We'll pray. We'll go home. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we love you. We honor you. God, we like you. We enjoy you. We celebrate you. Father, you, you give us joy. We have so much pleasure in you, and you have pleasure in us. And you're going to forever. And we're going to forever. Father, I trust entirely in your ability to bring clarity and speak to hearts, Spirit of God, and make this message be what is in your heart to our heart and to be able to deliver that, God, and to be able to to move us forward in that, Father, and to be able to convict us, God, where we need to be convicted and to leave us alone where we need to be left alone. Father, your highest and best is, is a relationship full of life, full of, full of action and words and, and, and doings that come from the heart, Father. Where you say in Corinthians, you love a cheerful giver. There's value in the cheer, not just the giving. There's value in something coming from the heart. And so Father, what I pray for myself tonight and for my family is that, that we would not give up in our relationships on the possibility of, of, of actions coming from the heart. And, and actions coming from a place of pleasure, because we've allowed we've allowed you to change us, and we've and we prayed for you to 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 change us, and we prayed for you to change them. And God, you come right into the middle of that, and you bring life. Everywhere, and all of a sudden, something that was dead is alive. Something that wasn't fun is fun. Something that was a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice anymore. God, if we sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice, and that's all we ever do, we burn out. There has to be times of refreshing. Father, there has to be times of giving back. There has to be times, Father, where, where it's from the heart, and it's full of joy. And so God, help us to have big faith for you to move relationships to a place where we thought you you may not have been able to move them at a prior point in time. God bless us, teach us, give us revelation as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.